Welcome once again to Run Out Radio. Hi, I'm Jerry Forsyth alongside Mike Howerton, and we've got some wonderful guests for you this afternoon. We'll be talking to Kevin Picard of the Seminole Tribe of Florida, and we'll be talking about their tour and their plans for the future. And we're also going to be talking to Danny Basovich and John Wertheim, who have just come out with the book that is the life story of Danny that uh, the movie is going to be based upon. So we'll get to talk about all of that stuff in just a moment. Right now, we've got billiard news for you, and that we turn over to Mike Howard. And Mike, what you got? Well, Jerry, it wasn't as busy a week as last week, but we still had quite a few tournaments to report on. We'll start at Breakers Billiards in Rock Hill, South Carolina, Shannon Dalton's Great Southern Billiard Tour. Uh, Gabe Owen went undefeated over the weekend for the win. This is the third weekend in a row that Gabe was out on the tournament scene. He went from Texas two weeks ago to Florida one week ago, and then back to South Carolina last weekend. Definitely seeing an increase in the number of top players who are getting out and using the regional scene to get their game in gear for the U.S. Open. Well, a lot to be said for that, because practice all you want to, but there is nothing like being under a gun. Place yourself in the fire to get ready for the heat of the U.S. Open. It's a great plan, and um, you know Gabe wants another U.S. Open. He's got to be just hungering for that. Well, you're right, and, and these regional tours, they're not walks in the park for any player. I don't care if you're Francisco Bustamante, Earl Strickland, or Rodney Morris. You're not just walking in, putting your name on the list, and expecting first place. Oh, absolutely not. You look at the the list of players who play on those regional tours. I mean, Florida is downright scary who shows up down there. You've got Thorsten Holman. You've got Charlie Williams. You've got a lot of big guns who play around on those Florida tours. Well, speaking of the Florida, they had an event two weeks ago, and it looks like a lot of the players that were at that made their way to Georgia last weekend to Southside Billiard Club in Savannah for the uh -huh. Peach Hour Southeast Open Nine Ball Tour stop. Now, we know that that tour is ran by Tommy Kennedy, a former U.S. Open champion. Right. Uh, Tommy was playing in this one, Mike Davis, Louis Ulrich, Rafael Martinez, Stevie Moore, David Grossman. Wow, that's that's... That's an amazing field for a regional event, isn't it? Absolutely. Uh, Louis Ulrich, you remember uh, he recently had made the comment that he was going to get serious about being a tournament player, and he's based in Georgia, so he took full advantage of home field and won this tournament. He was undefeated. My, he is really coming on. Who did he defeat in the finals, do you know? Sure enough, he beat Tommy Kennedy in the finals. Well, that means some... Some really heavy players never made it to the final table. Oh, yeah. Uh, Martinez was in a seventh-place tie with Butch Croft. My. Stevie Moore tied for fifth with a player by the name of Mike Clay. Uh-huh. Uh, Mike Davis in fourth, B.J. Ussery in third, uh, all the way down to Neil Fujiwara took 13th place. Neil's been playing great lately. So Louie made his way through a tough field for that win. How does Neil have time to, to play in tournaments as busy as he is? Well, you got me. He doesn't get out and play in a whole lot of them, but when you see his name in them, he, sure enough, he usually comes through with uh, with some wins over some top players. Oh, yeah, the man can hold a stick, no doubt. It's got to be the equipment. <laughs> should, we, should we tell people who don't know Neil whom he works for? 
well, uh, Neil works for a, a little company in Florida. They they make shafts and cues. I, I think their name is Predator. Is that right? I believe that's the one. <laughs> Yeah, he doesn't have to worry about having an equipment sponsor, does he? No, I guess not. Uh, let's see. The next tournament on our list was the Fast Eddie's Nine Ball Tour. They were at Fast Eddie's in San Antonio. Yep. Ninety-three players were in attendance for this one. Whoa. Yeah, Fast Eddie's is known for drawing some of the absolute top players from the Texas area, and they certainly held up to their reputation this time. Recent Texas Open winner Silver Ochoa was joined by Jeremy Jones... Charlie Hill, Billy Bryant, Wailing Chen, James Davis Sr., always a tough field at that one. Uh, final three in that tournament came down to Charlie Bryant, Ochoa, and Jeremy Jones. Ooh. Double J beat Hillbilly, Hill Hill, for the hot seat. And then Ochoa sent Hillbilly to the stands and matched up with Jeremy in the finals, and Jeremy came through, but I understand it was a tough match. It must have been a late match, too, because how can you get 93 players through a two-day event without playing very, very late? I mean, that must have been a tournament director's nightmare. Well, that's the downside of, of attendance like that. You always want more and more players, but the more you get, the later it's going to get. And and players complain that they have to play late into the night and they're not able to to come with their top game. It's it's a real catch-22 for the tournament promoters. Yeah, I'd, I've seen a lot of different solutions to that. Uh, one is if you're, say, you're playing a race to nine on the winner's side, is to play a race to six or seven on the loser's side to try and free up tables. But you're right. Boy, the more players you get, the, the more your headaches go up. Of course, it's, it's just great for the for the big players because they have a better chance of playing an unknown in the early rounds. So they, they have a chance to get warm as they go through the field. Let's see. Uh, we'll move on to the ladies' side of things. The only event I have results from is from Canada at the Tiger Canadian Women's Pool Tour. They were in Ontario. The youngest player on tour, a young player by the name of Brittany Bryant, defeated Maureen Sito for the hot seat and then defeated Maureen Sito again in the finals. Big, big win for Brittany. Certainly is. I mean, Maureen knows how to play, and she's certainly accustomed to tournament play, so to take her down twice is you know, quite an accomplishment. Definitely something to be proud of. I always like to hear these new names coming along. Yeah, because you see them on the WPBA, and you really have no idea who they are or where they come from. And, and this is where they come from. They they play in these smaller regional tours and, and make a name for themselves. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we move away from the regional tournament scene to national news. We've got two news bits from Matchroom Sports. The upcoming World Cup of Pool, the team from Malaysia has backed out. No reason was given. And the team from Belgium has taken their place. This means that Belgium gets the uh, opportunity to face the B team from Holland of Rico Deeks and Alex Laley. That's a heck of a B team. Uh, they'll play in the first round. Well, I know who I'm betting on. <laughs> Let's see. The other matchroom news we've got, uh, the first three players from the U.S. and the first three players from the European Moscone Cup teams have been announced. Now, as we well knew from talking to Luke a few weeks ago, the U.S. team will feature Rodney, Johnny, and Earl. Right. We knew that Konstantin Stepanov was going to play for the European team, but now we also know that Ralph Suquet and Tony Drago will be playing. 
This will be Ralph's 10th appearance at the Moscone Cup, but the first times for Drago and Stepanov, and it's going to be quite a shock for them to find out what the pressure is like playing in that event. I don't know. I, I'll be honest with you. I'm, I'm suspicious of, of these choices for the European side. I, I know that they have Matchroom has guidelines they have to go through, but um, Drago is not going to let the cameras bother him. He's, he's a very positive guy. He's a very um, confident guy, and, and he likes television cameras. He likes, uh, he likes being in the spotlight. It's not going to bother him too badly. My question mark, and it could be a very unfair question mark, Mike, is, is Stepanoff. I don't know how much exposure he has to being under the lights. And you can say that you play the table and you don't pay attention to the TV cameras all you like, but I haven't found that to be true. When you go to these events, you'll see first-time players who are great players just fold up like a deck of cards because they, they realize there are 400 million people watching everything they do. So, you know, best of luck to Stepanov. I hope he, he, he gets out there and does very, very well. But uh, every year, well, not every year, but it seems like a lot of years, there are, there are players who are put on the European team that are a little bit questionable, not due to their skill, but, but due to their ability to perform in front of the television cameras. And I think that's one of the reasons that America has, over the years, just wiped the floor with the European team year after year. I certainly understand the difficulty that Matchroom has. They're trying to put on an event for television, and that has to be about ratings and making it a profitable event for them. So they have to go after these top players that are going to draw the ratings all across Europe. But those players are not necessarily the absolute top players in Europe. And to explain that better, you can't take one player from each different region, it's not like they go to the U.S. team and take the top player from Georgia and the top player from Florida and the top player from New York. They take the top players, the Johnny, Rodney, Earl, Corey, Gabe, John Schmidt. But when you're trying to represent Europe, you try to represent as much of Europe as you possibly can, which puts you in a difficult spot. I mean, if they wanted to just take the top players in Europe, I'm thinking there's an awful lot of German players who should be on that team. Well, see, that's one of the problems. And, I mean, Stepanov deserves to be there this year because he is the top player in Europe. You know, he's, he's, a, he's either one or two on the EPBF. But the problem with that, the problem with using their rankings is that so many of the players who might be at the top of the EPBF rankings haven't played in enough EPBF events to qualify. So many of their Europeans have been over here or elsewhere in the world playing in bigger money tournaments and they missed out on the point. And you're right. You could put together a team from Germany alone that would be world beaters. But now, Matchroom, well, first, Matchroom can't do that because they have an agreement with the WPA that they will take um, players according to rankings. And the second thing is you've got to have this television program be popular in as many countries as possible. So you don't want five Germans on the team, you'd get great uh, numbers, television numbers out of Germany, but you, you know, you've got to have somebody on there from some other European countries so that there's interest in these other countries to watch the TV. 
so you're absolutely right. Match room is in a tough spot, and that tough spot has hurt the European efforts in the past. Yeah, and correct me if I'm wrong. Is is Konstantin Stepanov the same Stepanov that did so well three or four years ago at the U.S. Open when he was what seventeen, eighteen years old? I don't know his age, but it is the same guy. Yeah. Okay. Well, then he's certainly got the credentials to play on this, and and the listeners need to understand we are in no way trying to say that Stepanov does not deserve to be on this team. There, there are so oh, many outstanding players out of Europe who deserve to be on this team. Right. It's just difficult, and we always wonder why the U.S. team consistently does so well in this tournament against the top players in Europe. It is a bit of a mystery how, um, because you've got to admit that between top players, no matter what country they're from, they can beat each other on any given day. Johnny and Earl playing one another, uh, one of them can win one set, the other one can win another set. And you would think that the same sort of thing would have happened with the Moscone Cup, where it would be uh, 50-50 on, on wins and losses, or at least 60-40, at worst 60-40, but instead it's, what, 12-2? to two? Well, and another part of that has to be the fact that some players just play better under the TV lights. Case in point being Rodney Morris. The guy is 11-1 and in Moscone Cup matches. And Rodney Morris certainly has the game to be 11-1 and in any tournament. But 11-1 and against the top players from Europe, I'd be willing to bet some of those European players feel that that number is is skewed in the direction of, of Rodney. I mean, if if you lined up the European players and said, you guys are going to play Rodney Morris 12 matches, how many do you think you're going to win? They'd say more than one. Oh, absolutely. But Rodney has a big advantage under the television lights. For one thing, he loves being there. Uh, he, he's a great show-off. And he knows that the people that are watching him love him. I mean... You never get a negative comment from a viewer about Rodney Morris. He, he always gives his best, and he's always fun to watch. Just as a thought, having been to the event a number of times and having watched it on TV, I mean, you, you know how the European fans are, especially in Europe. I mean, yeah. for someone who's never been to this event, imagine the loudest, most boisterous soccer crowd of fans put them in a small room and have all of them cheering and singing and chanting for Team Europe. That is an oh, awful yeah. lot of pressure to be under. Oh, yeah, and some of those fans have air horns. <laughs> sure. I mean, if you're playing in the finals of the U.S. Open, you're certainly under pressure, but that pressure is all from yourself. You want to play the best you can possibly play. You are representing yourself and your sponsors. You've got an incredibly loud crowd who is watching every move you make. And the American fans, while they support their players, they're not that over-the-top loud and boisterous, not nearly as much so as the European fans. I mean, maybe it's, it's setting the bar so high for the European players that it's adding even more players than the U- or more pressure than the U.S. is under. Yes. I absolutely agree. I can tell you that the European fans have done some things that are questionable. They um, will cheer when an American misses a shot, which is certainly a, a questionable thing to do. But what sure. you can't deny is that they have a great time, they support their side, and they make great television. 
just a comment on that, that cheering when your opponent misses. You've got to give it to the Filipino fans last year when it came down to Ronnie Alcano and Ralph Suquet in the finals of the World Championships. I mean, Ralph yeah. was devastated when he lost that match, thinking that he was a big favorite. And you were there, Jerry. I mean, what kind of reaction did the fans give Ralph at the end when he was near, if not already, into tears after the match was over? When it became obvious how distressed he was, the fans stood and applauded him, gave him a standing ovation, and then chanted for the longest time, Sue K, Sue K, Sue K, to let him know that while he was disappointed in his performance, they were not. The fans were a true class act. And that is one of the reasons why the World Championships was and will again be in the Philippines. Indeed. Uh, last bit of news I have, if you remember our recent conversation with John Schmidt, he talked about going out there looking for a Q sponsor, and it looks like OBQs, who makes the OB1 shaft, have stepped up to right. sponsor John. Uh, don't know any of the details, but that certainly should be a good match for both John and OB. Yep. Well, with that, I believe we have Kevin Picard on the line. Kevin, are you there? I'm here. Hey, great. Kevin Picard, you are with the Seminole Sports Management Group. Why don't you tell us a little bit about that group and how it relates to the tribe as a whole? All right. Well, I work for a company called Seminole Sports Management, and we are a department of the Seminole Tribe of Florida. And so we do a variety of things, including event planning and whatnot for the tribe and outside services. But for this reason, we are managing the Seminole Pro Tour. So that's where I'm at. I'm the tour director new this year. I'm working with John DeToro and putting the events together. So that's where I'm coming from. Kevin, I wonder, uh, in the past, the Seminole Tribe's involvement in the Florida Pro Tour was simply appeared to be on a sponsorship level, and John pretty much was the one making the decisions, but it appears as if that is, has shifted this year to where you guys are taking more of an upfront role in running that tour. Is that the case? Yeah. In, in the past, the tribe has sponsored the tour for many years, and it just got to the point where it was a little too much on John to be playing and running the events at the same time, and it's just an overall great partnership. John's able to focus a lot more on playing. He actually finished second in an event uh, a couple weeks ago up in Jacksonville. So it's just an obvious great relationship, and we are, we, we've taken a little more control now of the management of the actual tour. Well, obviously the tribe has a business reason for being involved with pool. Uh, can you tell us how the tribe uses pool as a format uh, to promote its interest well in reality the tribe just has a great general interest in pool and making sure the sport grows day by day and you know there's tons of tournaments even within the tribe that are for tribal members and you should see the turnout it's incredible and so although there is a business interest of of course you know just getting the Seminole tribe's name out there and you know, showing what we do down here, but also it's just really just to have a great effect and positive influence on the pool world as a whole. Uh, Kevin, I believe you've released your schedule uh, for fall of this year. Uh, can you tell us where the events are going to be and give us a little information about them? Sure. We've got three more events coming up on the 2007 schedule. Coming up on October 5th through 7th, 
in Holiday, Florida, we've got an event at Hammerhead Billiards. Um, we are capping the field at 72. We look for a great turnout there, and that's the first one coming. After that, we're looking at October 27th through the 28th at Bird Bowl down in Miami. That should be another great event. And, of course, our last event of the season is the Steve Miserac Championships, which is our season-ending finale. And that is going to be Friday, November 30th through Sunday, December 2nd. It's going to be held at the Seminole Hard Rock Hotel at the Hard Rock Live down here in Hollywood, Florida. And that's going to be a great event because not only do we have that tournament going on, but the night before we've got a celebrity charity pro-am happening. That's hosted by Andre Dawson, the baseball legend. And uh, all that money raised will be donated to the Boys and Girls Club. So we're really looking forward to a, a good fall coming up. The Miserac State Championship that you mentioned, what's the added prize money on that one? The added prize money is going to be $25,000. So we're, we're looking for a great turnout. We have a field and tournament ready for 128 players. And we just want to let everybody know that the field is open. We're encouraging juniors, seniors, women, men. I mean, really, just everybody come out. They're welcome, and it should be a great event, great location, and you know, just an awesome time down in South Florida. Some of the tours have requirements as to players having played in a certain number of events during the season prior to the season finale in order to play in that. It doesn't sound like that's a requirement. It's not a requirement. Now, the entry fee will depend on how many tournaments you have played and your loyalty to the tour throughout the year. So you'll, you'll be cut a break on the entry fees if you've been loyal. But, no, it's, it's open to all. And players who are interested in playing in this event, should they contact you? Should they contact John? They, any contact that needs to be made for the tour at all is going to come to myself and my company, Seminole Sports Management. A lot of times the players will have John's contact information, and he's happy to pass on ours. But you can reach us at phone number 954 Three six four five two zero one, and actually something that we're looking forward to in a couple of weeks, we're going to have our website up with all this information up there at www.seminalsportsmanagement.com. That's all one word, no spaces. Uh, what are your plans for spring of two thousand and eight? Are you in? Are you into the planning stage of that as yet? Of course, we are moving. Um, we actually have a great plan going here. We're working on the schedule for next year. And our idea for, for the years to come is right now we are only in Florida and we're sitting, you know, staying pat on that. But as we move next year, we're looking to have a couple of events in the southeast region. So we're working on sewing up a room up in Atlanta and maybe somewhere in the Carolinas as well. And so that's the next year. And after that, you know, we're going to keep on moving. And hopefully by year three, four, and five, we open up into the Midwest and come out west by you guys. And just in a few years, we look to be across the country just putting on great events. So you must be opening yourself up to having other sponsors come on board with you. Oh, without a doubt. We are always interested in uh, looking for sponsorship opportunities. Kevin, will any of your events be available to the public on broadcast? Well, right now we uh, have the Seminole Tribe Broadcasting Company coming out to all of our events and just getting a lot of great footage, as well as we have George Torres from ProPoolVideo.com doing a lot of filming. And actually, our Steve Miserac Championship event is going to be broadcast and played tape-delayed on FSN and Sun Sports down here in southeast in Florida. So we really look forward to just getting ourselves out there and you know letting people see our great events happen. Well, now, is your broadcasting company, is that a part of the plan for your expansion in 08 and on down the road? Is that is 
broadcasting of those matches something that you're looking at doing in the future? Definitely. We're you know our broadcasting department is a little, is new to the pool world as well, and they're just coming out to events and learning and learning how to film the matches properly. And we just look forward to them developing and you know working with media outlets to just get get these events out there. Kevin, we've talked on this show in the past about big sponsors who are able to put the kind of money towards professional pool that you guys are putting towards professional pool. And there has to be some kind of a goal for the company. There has to be something that they're trying to accomplish, something they're trying to promote in order for them to, to do what they're doing. What what can the players and the media and the fans do to help you achieve the goals that you have? And and what exactly are those goals? Well, really, guys, our main goal is just to you know continue to put on great tournaments. Like I mentioned previously, we are looking to move across the country, and it's just really a great time for anybody that's interested in joining up with us and helping us sponsor these tournaments to get on board. Our main goal is just to take care of the players and continue to have good player turnouts. You know, we always have our bills paid up, so that's not an issue. But um, we're just we're looking to continue to put on good tournaments. And anybody that wants to come out and support us, just please give us a call and come on by. As you grow across the country in in the years to come, I mean, I know that, uh, for instance, the WPBA uh, puts on, I think, a majority of their tournaments inside Native American casinos around the country. Okay. Is that the sort of link that we could look forward to in the future where uh, various tribes partner with you and you actually go to their location to, to put on well, a Seminole Tour event? Well, Jerry, there's so many things that we could end up at in the future, and, of course, that could be one link. But in reality, we're not going to hold ourselves to that and just whoever wants to help us out and wherever there's great venues and great crowds, that's where we're going to be. So I wouldn't say that we're necessarily solely looking to uh, to move towards tribal locations. Well, Kevin, thanks so much for spending your time with us this afternoon. We really appreciate the conversation. It sounds like you guys are really on top of things, but then you have been for a number of years. I mean, kudos to the Seminole Tribe. You are long-term sponsors of Pocket Billiards, and we all thank you very much for that. It sounds like you've got a fantastic fall coming up for the players, especially that $25,000 added Steve Miserak tournament. Um, I, I certainly hope that everyone will come out and support you on that. Well, it, it's been a pleasure being here today, guys, and I appreciate you having us on. And, yes, that $25,000 event coming up in late November, early December, it's going to be a great time. And just get on our website, www.seminalsportmanagement.com. Thank you very much, Kevin. Thanks, guys. Have a great one. It sounds like the Seminoles have some great plans coming up. There's really kind of been a void in the men's pro scene since the IPT stepped back from what they were doing. I mean, we still have a number of big events out there, but there really hasn't been a body that wanted to step to the forefront and really try to pull together a cohesive national tour. If anyone can do it, the Seminoles certainly can, so I wish them all the luck in the world. Of course, we do wish the Seminoles all the luck in the world, although I don't think they need any luck. Uh, they really sound like they've got an organization going down there that's uh, on top of everything. I'm really excited about the hints they gave us for where they're going in the future. Um, I, I want to see where they are in two years. They've, they've got a great base behind them. They've already got the player support 
they've got the fan support regionally, I don't think it'll take a lot for them to expand that to a national exposure. No, and it seems like they're in it for all the right reasons. This is not a national company who's looking at pool as a quick way to make some money. They understand the game, and they seem to truly be looking out for pool itself as opposed to just themselves. You're very correct there. They do understand the game. And speaking of people who understand the game, our next guest certainly understands the game. Uh, we're going to go right now and talk to Danny Basovich and the author of his new book, Running the Table, John Wertheim. Gentlemen, are you there? Yep. Yep. We've got John and Danny on the line. Uh, I'd like to start with Danny. Danny, I understand you've had some health issues recently. Can you tell us what happened and, and how you're doing now uh, physically? Well, actually, I uh, I guess it's been almost a year now. It was it was last November. I uh, I in the in the middle of my sleep, I uh, I stopped breathing. I actually. Uh, I, I didn't know, but I have, you know, a form of sleep apnea. And, uh, and, and, uh, I take, uh, for depression, I take, uh, Paxil and, uh, Xanax for anxiety and to help me sleep. And, uh, connected with them too, you know, the Xanax and the Paxil and also my sleep apnea. I actually was, was going to a pool tournament, like on a Sunday afternoon, and I had to get up at like 10 in the morning to go. Uh, you know, last year, and uh, my girlfriend, she saw my leg, you know, over the bed, and, and that I wasn't moving at all, and uh, luckily that she, you know, tried to wake me up, because it actually was like an hour before the alarm was supposed to go off, and uh, I wasn't breathing at the time when she tried to wake me up, I was just dead, and I was actually, uh, uh, she said I was a little bit blue, actually, and uh, it, it turns out that I, I wasn't breathing, and uh, the ambulance came and was able to revive me. And uh, the doctors at Brick Hospital in Brick, New Jersey, they said uh, connected with the sleep apnea and, and uh, the, the shock of stop breathing that I had a mild heart attack. And, wow. uh, and if it wasn't for my girlfriend, I, I would have died. You know, if she would have found me, you know, a few minutes later, I would have died, you know what I mean? It was like, it's really a, an amazing thing. And I, uh, you know, I pray to God every day, and I'm really fortunate to be here, you know, from, like, the doctors, they say that, you know, my cholesterol is fine, and uh, there's actually no damage to my heart. Like, it wasn't a heart attack because I have, like, you know, bad cholesterol, you know, or anything you know, any other problems like that. But the doctors pretty much, you know, put me on a diet, you know, of certain foods, and uh, they want me, you know what I mean, and they want me to exercise, you know what I mean, and I'm in the process of getting a sleep apnea machine. We're glad you're still with us, Danny. <laughs> yeah, thank you very much. <laughs> That's a pretty scary tale. Yeah, it um, really is. I'll tell you that. It was some surprise. By the way, are you coming to the U.S. Open? I I actually am not coming to the U.S. Open. I, I really do want to come, but I I still got a couple things that I, I'm too busy to come. But I I do plan on on coming back out onto the circuit in the very near future. I uh, I've been dying to do it, and I and I, uh, 
I am playing pool right now pretty fluently, but I, I, uh, I'm not going to be able to make it to the U.S. Open. Okay, John, next question for you. Everyone knows that you're a writer for Sports Illustrated, so you've got to give us some history. How does a writer from Sports Illustrated come to write a book about a pool player? Oh, man. I, um, the story I tell is I came across an article on a, it was a, I don't know what it's a BCA event, a pro, you know, pro event at uh, Grand Central Station in the Wall Street Journal, and buried in there was a sentence about how, you know, a uh, a plus size pool hustler named Kid Delicious made two hundred thousand dollars hustling, and then it went back to the, yeah. you know, then it was you know, Forsyth beat Strickland in the semifinals and beat Archer <laughs> in the fight, you know, then it sort of kept going. I said, I don't, you know, I don't care who won. I want to know about this guy who made two hundred grand. Uh, so uh, I tracked Danny down, and I think like like most people, uh, you know, I fell in love pretty early. And um, you know, when I wrote the story, I think the story ran in like early 2005, and I had written this story. I mean, it was pretty long. I mean, you know, I think it was eight ten pages, and I still felt like I'd only used about uh, you know a third of the material I'd gotten. So I figured that was a pretty good tip off that. Uh, there was there was something here, and uh, you know you know I mean I've covered big events and NBA Finals and Wimbledon's and all that. I mean this covering this this is about as much fun as I've ever had writing. Just just one more little quick question: How did you actually get the material from Danny? I mean, did you go spend time with him, or did he send you tapes? How'd you do it? Um, yeah, a variety. I mean, before, you know, the other thing about this, you know, first of all, it's, it's good he's got an uncommon last name, because so I was able to just fish Bassett. If he'd been named Danny Jones, who knows how long it would have taken to track him down. And then I also had the good fortune that he lives about an hour away from where I live. So it was real easy oh. to uh, to meet him initially. And then, you know, once we had, uh, you know, we sort of had this nice connection, and um, I thought the story came out real good. And then it just was one of these things where, you know, maybe once a month or a couple times a month, I'd just drive down an hour and we'd have a meal together and run the tapes. And, you know, we talked on the phone. And I was, in the meantime, I was trying to, you know, call, well, you know, Jerry, I mean, talk, tried to talk to as many pool people as I could and try to sort of get up to speed on pool. But, um, but yeah, right. mostly it was just sort of visiting with Danny. And I was real lucky. You know, if he if he'd lived in Oklahoma City, uh, it would have been tough. But it was, you know, I'd have an open Tuesday or something and we'd have lunch and spend a few hours talking. And, I'd, you know, fill up a couple tapes and I'd be good to go for a while. John, speaking of, of the aspect of writing the book and, and finding out different things about the game of pool, I really wanted to compliment you after having read the book that you really seemed to get the game of pool as, as opposed to some of the Hollywood types who think it's all about flashy bank shots and break shots and flailing your arms in the air and all that. I think you described it in the book as it's more a game of clicks than clacks. Can you talk about what it took for you to understand the game of pool to the level that you do? Um, yeah, I mean, I, you know, I, I tried not to make any bones of it. I didn't come in with much pool knowledge at all. And, no, you're right. You watch, you know, if everybody, you know, image of pool came from watching Paul Newman movies, you'd think it would be crazy bag shots and, balls exploding when they hit the pockets and I went to uh I think the first event you know I hung out with Danny in, in Philly at, at Petey Fusco's room and we talked a bunch but I saw him play in uh, Glass City you know at the Toledo event and 
at first it was really jarring that it was sort of this this very methodical um you know i was kept thinking to myself god i could make that shot and then i really then realizing of course it's obviously the positioning and you know where the object ball is going to line up after you make the shot that makes all the difference but um right. You know, it's. Uh, I mean, I, I. I mean, that was sort of a theme throughout. Was I, I feel like Pool has all these. There's all these perceptions that really don't mesh with reality at all. That the guys, I'm. You know, everyone sort of has their image of a pool hustler, and in my experience, you know, the people I ran into and talked to couldn't have been, you know, more opposite from that perception. And the, you're right. The way Pool was played itself, it took me a while. I was sort of expecting, you know, behind the back bank shots. And, and you watch it, it's it's more like, uh, you know, delicate paint. You, know, you sort of expect uh, Jackson Pollock, and you end up getting a lot of, like, delicate impressionism. How's that for an analogy? No, I don't know. I mean, uh, it, 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 it took an adjustment, though. I'm sure it did. Danny, Yeah. in the book, you guys put your dirty laundry right out there to air. I mean, yeah, yeah, we did. And that took a lot of courage. Now, did you at all? Did you ever think about masking some of that and just not talking about it? Or what? What made you decide to go ahead and and tell the truth to the public and and let them see your warts as as well as uh, your beauty? Well, uh, I, I'll tell you, Jerry. I uh, like I like to feel like uh, like I feel like I get along very well with uh, with everyone. And, uh, you know, with all the pool players, plus also all the fans. And I, uh, and I'm a very honest person. And, uh, I don't know if it hurts me sometimes or not, but I, I'm very open and very honest. And, uh, I really don't, I feel like that's the best way to be in life. And, uh, I feel like I, I, I rather tell the people the truth and, and let them see what, what life is about and let them see, you know, what I had to do and go through. You know, to maybe become a professional pool player and also, you know, some of my things that might be stuff that might be hidden in the closet. You know what I mean? That, you know, like stuff like depression or other stuff where, you know, not yeah. everybody might know about myself, Jerry. That, yeah. that I, uh, I thought it was good. And also, you know, we're also, be, besides, I figured the truth is the best thing for everyone to know. And I, and I, uh, I don't know. I'm very, I'm very honest and, and uh, straightforward, and uh, also the movie's supposed to be, you know, some similarities too. And they were, uh, you know, and and also that's, you know, it's supposed to work towards the movie too, and, and being very, you know, truthful with that also. Sure. Can anybody give us an update on the status of the movie? Uh, well, right, right now they're uh, actually Lionsgate is actually connected right now to making the movie with Playtone and Tom Hanks. Uh-huh. And right now, like John Wertheim had wrote a script, and they wanted to add a couple things to the script that he had wrote. And uh, they liked his script, but, they, you know, they, they wanted even more. And they, they, had, they had me meet with two of the best writers from Tom Hanks's Playtone, and uh, right now, the script just got totally finalized, and it sounds like they're very close to, to possibly shooting the film in the very near future. And right now, they're talking like uh, this guy named Dan Fogler about playing Kid Delicious in the movie. 
Well, the, the reason I ask that is, is I'm a little bit concerned because of the financial situation that Lionsgate is in. If you look at their stock price over the last two years, that's not a happy company. And I didn't know how many new projects they would actually be able to, to put out. Well, I, I, we're I waiting for a big year from Saw. You know, the, the Saw I think the Saw movies are, are big <laughs> for them, so we'll, we'll see what it looks like next, next quarter. Yeah, <laughs> they, they seem to make a lot of money off, off that movie Saw, and they keep on making. They they've made three three or I think even a fourth movie now of the movie Saw, and that every October they do seem to make, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars from the from the Saw and that Halloween. So I don't know, you know that that does seem to help the the whole the Lionsgate big time. So that means that uh, us pool fans can go out and see Saw three or four times, and we can write it off as supporting Danny. <laughs> yeah, that's a good um, way to look at it. Danny, a big part of the book was about your relationship with Bristol Bob. Uh, are you still in contact with him, and, and how's he doing? Yeah, sure. I, uh, I'm still in contact with Bob. He uh, He's doing well. He... Uh, He's like, you know, he he's still, you know, like an A player or like a a semi pro semi pro player trying to still get to the, you know, the tops or the echelon of the pool players uh, in like Connecticut and New York and New Jersey, and uh, he's actually still in the mix almost as as the book. He's still in the middle of gambling every single night, you know what I mean? Because he's he sits right in with that, you know, level of play like. Like everybody knows that it, at, the pros really aren't playing against each other, but when after that, you know what I mean, all them other guys are still, you know, button horns and all trying to fight each other to get better and, uh, you know, battle in tournaments and for money, you know what I mean? And uh, he's he's actually, you know, all the time actually playing for money, for, for you know, $500 games all the time. And uh, he's actually also... He's doing. He's actually become a painter, and he, his, he's actually been making these portraits of actually professional pool players, and he's actually been making some side money like that. And he's gotten his, uh, he's gotten his bad habits from the book all under control, I assume. Yeah, he he's had some he's had some bad times in his life, and uh, right now it seems like he his habits are all in control, and I. I believe he's doing very well with himself with, with that with that part of it. John, for our, our listeners who are sitting there wondering why we haven't already covered this ground, those who aren't totally familiar with the book, why don't you tell us the name of the book and where is it available? Where can people find your book? Um, the name is Running the Table, and uh, we, I, I hope it's available. Uh, what's, what's the cliche? Where all fine books are sold. Or, um <laughs> You know, I, I know it's on Amazon, and, and I think you know it ought to be at your Barnes and Noble, and uh, and so forth. Um, so yeah, I mean, it should. You know, the what we were talking about the movie before. I mean, the one the one nice thing about the book is when you you get a contract to do a book, you're at least pretty assured that it's going to be made and it's going to come out there. So uh, right. you know, it's uh, we were all crossing our fingers about the movie, but the book. The book at least is here, and you know, a, a, a click over to Amazon or stop by your bookstore, and it should be should be so it should be pretty easy to find. So yeah, and uh, um, in in the very near future, I mean, uh, you'll be able to get the book also through AZ Billiards and also through PoolJacks.com, which is 
my my website where I sell, you know, DVDs, you know, my own lesson videos, and we'll, right. we'll be getting some of the books right on there also. But John is right. I mean, in all the big, you know, uh, book companies like Amazon and stuff like that, people will be able to acquire the book. And for our listeners online, Pool Jacks is P-O-O-L-J-A-X. Well, Danny, you talked about wanting to get back into the game and, and the U.S. Open not being in your window of opportunity. Uh, what are your your plans coming up for getting back into the game? I really miss not being on the, not being on the pro circuit. And uh, I'd like to say that uh, I've never been a cocky pool player, but I... I'd like to say that, that all you pros out there, you better beware that Kid Delicious is healthy and going to be coming back on tour as strong as ever in the near future. And, uh, and I can't wait to, to get my uh, hands dug right up in the pro, you know, whatever pro events there is. I, uh, I know that, you know, the IPT has given, you know, pool a sour taste and pool's at a, a bottom with pro events. But I, uh, I, I plan on, on uh, getting myself in as many events as I can closer to probably the end of this year and, uh, and then, you know, all the next year. And uh, I can't wait, you know, to get myself involved with that, you know what I mean? And, uh, you know, also pushing the book and, uh, you know, also the movie. We're hoping that the movie is, is very close to being shot. And, uh, you know, that's very important to me to let all my fans know that, and I am healthy right now, and I am working on getting myself back on tour because I've seen a lot of hoopla on the internet, and I mean, you know, in a lot of magazines about what happened to Kid Delicious. You know, is he okay? And and I just want to let everyone know that I I am okay. Everything is fine right now, and uh, I can't wait to to start playing against all the top players on the tour again. Well, that's great, and I'd like to say that I had the marvelous opportunity to read a pre-release copy of the book and John you did a fantastic job you you really are a fantastic wordsmith uh, I was enthralled with the way you wrote this book the way you, you you handled the subject matter and I think that everyone will enjoy this it's a great read whether you enjoy pool or not uh, you'll enjoy the way that uh, that John put this book together. So, John, thank you very much for your efforts. Uh, I think it really paid off. I appreciate that. And I, um, I, I would say real quick that, uh, you know, starting with Danny but going on down the line, it was just such fun to sort of work with everyone. And I can't, uh, you know, it's kind of be unfortunately, it's sort of being marketed as a mainstream book, but I don't want it to get lost in that, that, uh, you know, it's really, like, wouldn't have been possible without a lot of people being real accommodating in the pool world, so I'll always uh, be grateful for that. I want to just thank John Wertheim myself, you know, for, for him doing a, a really awesome and unbelievable book that I, I hope everybody out there gets their hands on it and and that he is a great writer. And, uh, you know, I just wish him the best of luck, and I, I wish the book the best of luck, and, and, uh, and I also wish you, you and Mike, the best of luck with, with everything you guys are working on, you know, there thereafter. That's marvelous. Well, that said, gentlemen, uh, we appreciate the time you spent with us this afternoon. Uh, good luck on the sales of the book. Danny, we're looking forward to seeing you back out on the tournament trail. And for now, goodbye. 
Well, it's good to hear that Danny is on the road to recovery. It was a very worrisome period there last year when we heard that he had died uh, several times, actually, uh, within the space of a few hours. Uh, they had to bring him back uh, two or three times, and uh, it was a scary moment for all of us who are Danny's friends. So we're glad to see he's back on the road to recovery, and we wish them well with their book and all their ventures. And that said, uh, Mike, that's this week's edition of Run Out Radio, and we will talk to everyone again next week.